and uh, Buddha said uh, one occasion he said one of the it's very rare for a Buddha to appear in the world it's also very rare for a person to be grateful <laughs> see, uh, see these about equivalent <laughs> so arahants are people who are very grateful <laughs> can't wait to define an arahant as someone who's, who's grateful and so they're, they're the sense of not just a kind of momentary feeling but feeling a real kind of uh, strong heart and strong uh, love for the teacher, for the Buddha and so they, they all kind of gather together just to, you know, to be grateful to pay their respects <coughs> and the Buddha is our hunt disciples so they wouldn't really need any particular teaching anymore but the Buddha uh, responded to this by this kind of, it's like an affirmation with the Avada Patimoka, an exhortation or an Avada, a kind of, um, um, well, an exhortation is a good enough word, on, on the bond. Patimoka is a bond, that which connects or binds, it both restrains, it, it kind of establishes limits, it kind of connects people uh, into a particular. Uh, particular container and it also binds people together as a fraternity if you like or a community so and then this so this, this is, if you like it's a kind of affirmation of what everybody had in common what they had in common all these various arahants apart from being grateful was uh, <laughs> that they uh, and he said uh, Patience, supreme patience, is the is the is supreme virtue of kanti or forbearance or ability to just stick with things and uh, endure, bearing with. This is a supreme kind of um, austere practice or a practice that burns out the hindrances. Uh, and he said nibbana is the supreme. And these two things give an indication of uh, nibbana as as a supreme. Why why do you say nibbana is the supreme? Nibbana means the not the not not binding or the not uh, not driving, not being driven like a wind that ceases. So it's not a kind of hallelujah glory experience. It's like an utterly cool. So someone is as though that, just like patience is, the ability to just be with things. Mm. Mm. So non-demanding, giving it all the time. So this is a very cooling experience. Of course, what one is being patient with may not be particularly pleasant or cool. So the experience in Nibbana also recognize, also realize you, you, it's, it's. You've got to know what to be looking at. If you're always calling the world of particular objects, things that, that arouse interest or negativity or whatever, whether there's a whole cooling out of consciousness. Nibbana is an utterly cool consciousness. It's not an object. Mm. So that the practices we undertake, whatever they are, whether they're small, great, 
whatever particular practice we're undertaking, devotional or dealing with particular refined objects, physical objects, service, duties, things like that. These are particular things we can do, things we can attend to. Mm-hmm. And is the end result of that, you know, whatever the thing is, is the end result of it then, which is kind of no longer driven, no longer kind of getting worked up about something or the other. Um, where the consciousness that receives things is utterly peaceful. So, this kind of statement, and then the Avada Patimoku goes on to kind of explain the, the, uh, if you like, daily life of an Arahant, what Arahants concern themselves with, and it's basically things like uh, finding a uh, suitable place to sit and sleep, and uh, not overeating, being restrained in their use of food. Uh, following the Vinaya training, the Patimoka discipline itself, not harming creatures, um, and then doing whatever is good, whatever good they can do, whatever is uplifting, they kind of rise up to it, any possibilities of that which is good, anything possibilities of things that are evil, they refrain from. This is, if you like, the, on the daily duty, the agenda of our old Arahants. It's quite a simple agenda, really, but but um, so simple. You read the Avada Patimoka, you think, well, so what? Yeah, yeah, okay, you know, not very high, not very kind of uh, interesting. But Buddha didn't have to interest the Arahants because they were already grateful enough anyway. You know, to kind <laughs> of get them going and inspire them. <laughs> So he just said, "This is it, isn't it? This is so. If you don't, you know. I guess it was also to give people a, a feeling for this is what you teach. Basically, you teach this kind of level of simple life, attention to duties, looking after the basic requirements, which which enable one to to be calm and clear, keeping things light, and then uh, having this general aspiration to whatever is good and uplifting and noble. And the simplicity of it is the beauty of it, really." Because then you're looking, you know, they, they kind of clear away a lot of the details and the complexities and just look at, you know, the raw ingredients of a day. And the more simple, the more simple they are, the more you can concentrate on how you're doing it and why you're doing it. You've got too much stuff going on. It's difficult to really focus on, so clearly on, you know, on the quality of the intention behind it takes time to really, you know, so to really uh, as a, as a kind of ongoing thing, it's something you really witness and watch. What's the what's the consciousness doing? So so of course much of our ordinary person's interest and energy and welfare and well-being is locked into the particular things they associate with, the sense objects or activities. So that we are generally supported by those kinds of things, by you know, colours and sights and sounds, tastes and touches, thoughts and feelings. 
those are the things that condition us. So we just kind of try to find the, the best ones and so on. But then uh, someone cultivating is recommended to look more thoroughly at their intention behind behind an action, behind a, behind speech. What's it aimed for? What's its quality? Is it just compulsion or reaction, habit? You know? Then it's worth exploring, isn't it? Looking into why one do it that way, where one mind works. You're looking at it as a phenomenon. So, example, like with the um, recommendation around food, so you're knowing how much to eat, rather than what particular when you eat Mexican food or Italian or pizzas or bloodwurst or whatever it is, the hot, cold, where are we going to go and eat it at? Which place we're going to, what table we're going to sit at when we eat it? What clothes we should wear when we sit at whatever table in whatever restaurant to eat whatever kind of food, and who to bring along with us, and then what kind of drinks we should have with it? You know, so you actually proliferate enormously over that rather than the intent behind behind making up one mouthful of food, which is more the arahant's kind of uh, intention goes there onto that kind of thing. You know, if you try to practice like this, you can you find it very very helpful because it just does simplify everything, and you you get through a lot of stuff. Just looking at the not the object, if you like, but the mind, the mind's and its designations, nama, intention, attention, perception, what faculties are present. It sounds very intellectual at first, because one has to have the kind of concepts there, because so often we're so plugged into a particular mindset, we can't even conceive of anything else. You know, when somebody says, you want to go out for dinner, you don't think, what's my intention going to be about lifting one's fork full of peas into my mouth? You know, you want to think of other things. So I had to actually kind of bring in an idea there is something there. There's something quite significant in in why we do things and how we do things and what things excite us and what things revolt us and what things we don't even really notice at all. There's something very significant there for our, our well being. That shouldn't that if we are interested in, you know, in self realization in actually fulfilling our lives that this is where it's at actually and then you have the like the with the Patimokha discipline itself you have things like how to eat food so that you can more or less keep keep that particular um, way of looking Hold it there, hold your attention there. So you say you eat the food, um, not making up a large mouthful, not shoving the whole hand into the mouth. 
Nature, these are always all created because of apparently because of incidents. You can just suddenly shove them all hand into their mouth. <laughs> Must have been <laughs> lost it, as they say. <laughs> Something you rather liked, obviously. <laughs> Not stuffing out the cheeks, chomping, slurping. Um, these kinds of things, and, and attention on the bowls, you're actually aware of this bowl, so you're not sort of lunging, chipping, hacking, um, picking the bowl up and shoveling it down. <laughs> Which sounds absolutely, you know, uh, really monstrous, but then when you, you actually told you about sensory strength, and this is about the the only kind of real continual outlet for sens- sensuality in a, in a summoner's life, then you can see all the kind of all that passion cathects onto this one thing, so you, though you may not do it you can certainly feel the instinct to just kind of go head first into the bowl and totally lose yourself into blissing out on chocolate eclairs or something eat 20 of them in a row this is something one wouldn't have done uh, when one had all kinds of things to diffuse sens- sensuality onto. But when it comes down to just one little channel, you might be absolutely berserk onto one little thing. <coughs> so this this gives you, you know, these are things in kind of conventional supports and able to want to witness the intent, the greed, or the aversion. Well, they can't all get this food down, get it over and done with, just, you know, not even really noticing it. To be quite aware of it, making up a mouthful, chewing it, swallowing it, that's the kind of thing that actually does require a lot of patience. So Arahants are really quite good at this, but uh, other people generally need a bit of help. So the Patimoka discipline gives a kind of guidelines for that, it binds people into a particular mode of behaviour that will make them more aware of the of the intent <coughs> of what's going on in the mind whether it's conscientiousness whether we start to get into the habit of well, well, you know, another day here we go, what we're we doing in an hour's time, make a phone call and this, that and the other, and just kind of cut corners, blur over things, get into a kind of a blur of time rather than just this moment is what counts this is the one that counts this moment and what your mind is doing this moment now is what counts for for a, a cultivator the rest of it is just the smoke screen that the mind creates so it was just to be kind of challenged that time thing and the the thing that resists being revealed, the thing that resists us actually examining the way our mind is going, resists it, doesn't want to be examined. And this is quite um, exacting. (coughs) And as we all know, 
mind, uh, mind, our heart, our emotions, and things can throw up tremendous uh, struggles and smoke screens of, you know, sometimes you just feel like you're, everything's gone totally dull, or you get tensions, sort of strong urges and restless twitching and things you've got to do and fears and feeling this and feeling pressurised and you know, uncertain whether one wants to really do this or not. Or just, you know, and these are all things that are you can see them bound up with time, bound up with the idea of the future, bound up with the sense of self, destiny, my life, what am I going to do? Why am I? Who am I? And these kinds of things. And these are all tremendously gripping. But within that, you, within that, you, you know, there's someone who cultivates. You really look at, you know, rather than trying to sort oneself out, even, or start judging oneself. Just wait now. Wait a minute. What actually this experience, this realm, where is it based? It's a mental construction. It's, in, it's sustained with emotion. It's driven with doubt. Caught up with fear, it resists examination. It's something that you know it's difficult. The, the mind, uh, mindfulness, one doesn't really mindful of or aware of. So then, it's just you know, so they just you know to kind of get that sense of clarity about uh, the way that an object, not what an object is, which can be tremendously convincing and technicolored and real and personal and out you know this is the real world and all that stuff so if it's the real world then can we why don't we what can we just examine it if it's so real you know you know and then what state are we in are we cool are we clear are we what is it is it you know can you recognize that the mind state that's holding that the mind that's holding it is in is it wise? Is it clear? Is it aspiring? Is it something you actually feel you like to sustain? Or is it kind of twisted, leaning, crunched down, cowering, rabid or what? Because mm. based upon that intent, the whole world, the whole realm, the whole uh, is sustained. And with based upon that, various objects will come up that support that. <clears throat> this definitely is a sort of path of that requires that based on on faith and sattā, which is a sort of a heart quality. Faith is the thing that uh, it lifts up, it gladdens. Faith can be just this, you know, conventionally speaking, say faith in Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, recognition, inspiration by the Buddha, by his teachings, by the 
noble ones who follow the teachings. But then just even, you know, if we look at it as aspiration, as faith in that there is a better and that one is able, one is, one has a doorway to it. The quality of a, the thing that one of the um, statements of, or the, the, for the recollections of Buddha, if you like, that, that, that create the inspiration of recollection is a Buddha has appeared in the world, a, a thus come one has, appear, has arisen in the world, just this kind of statement. You know, if it's understood, it means you know, this is accessible, teaching those who wish to be trained. It's accessible, teacher of humans. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's accessible. It's something that's not separate. It's not, you're not divorced, you're not cut out. It's not a specialized thing. It's for human beings. And the Buddha has appeared in this, this realm, this kind of earth realm of hunger and quarreling and pain and, and separation and eating and sleeping and duties and things like that to do. So it's just that feeling that you know, an enlightened being is connected to this 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 realm of experience, this level of experience. Mm-hmm. This is one of the ways in which you know, deliberately giving oneself the opportunity to to connect to to, to faith, to experience a sense of you know it's it's not far away. It's there. It's something that's reaching out to you. Uh, the Buddha said, you know, doors of deafness are open if you give, bring forth your faith. His first, his first teaching it starts off like this. So, you know, we can look at Buddha as an object and think, well, Buddha, man, you look at these Buddha images, funny hairdo, don't feel really inspired by that. Know, don't we like Thai art or you know, Sri Lankan ones that they haven't got their necks? Don't like Buddha, you know, different. You know, so one can you look at it as an object, Buddha as an object. Then, then again, you know, you actually feel your mind just doing these things on it. The way it does to objects, rather than. You know what it's supposed to be doing is actually opening up the way in which we experience things by saying, um, "Bring forth your faith. Be learn to how to be received, rather than just be thinking and doing and creating and opinionating. Just to be that kind of receptive, uh, because the quality of Buddha awakening." It's coming towards you. It's 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 available. It's coming to you. If we have that faith, that allows us to open up to receive the coolness of awareness, coolness of knowing. Not what we know, but the fact that there is this ability to know. Buddha is Lokavidu, the knower of the worlds. So, a Tathagata, one who has come, one who has thus come, is someone who has fully seen the world, 
the world, everything that can be seen, he said, everything can be possibly be seen, heard, sensed, cognized, uh, attained in the world. This I have seen, heard, cognized. <laughs> you know, I've been there and understand that. It's been comprehended. It's been understood. So this is uh, this whole approach is very much a kind of a, a Buddha presenting coming this teaching actually making it very intimate, bringing it across to where we are, and yet we're not often very intimate with ourselves. This is the problem. So often the whole process of the self view abstracts, abstracts us from the situation which we find uncomfortable. So we. You know, there's a moment of dukkha, or, or, and then what happens is there's a split, and I am, you know, reacting, doing something to avoid experiencing that thing, and then the judging and the measuring and the whatever, this is kind of abstraction process occurring, where an object becomes real and out there, and one is locked into a particular blind relationship of irritation shame, guilt, fear, or craving. But all these things abstract. They may seem, you know, totally compulsive and, and binding you, but they abstract in the sense in which they, they separate the self from an object. And often we don't, we don't recognize that self. And we're not aware of of the actual connection, which is where the intention and the activity of the mind is based. So that becomes hidden, the connection has become hidden. We're not with the intimacy of our experience, which may be, you know, of fear or whatever. We're just we're just seeing, oh this is a horrible thing. Mm? That's what that's what abstraction is. It's like that. It cuts off the witnessing of the root of our own world what it's based on what supports it why faith is important is that it, it actually is encouraging a kind of a, an intimacy of awareness so as one is cultivating, in fact, it's it's these are this itself. This quality of faith is something to, you know, we, we often say meditating upon particular things, you know, the body, the breath, sound, you know, but just to have this way of reviewing the consciousness that's that's doing it. Does it have faith? Does it have mindfulness? Does it have effort? Does it have concentration? Is it wise? Does it have the you know, just to be reviewing that? If we can witness these these for example, these are the, the five indriya, the five controlling faculties, the five things that, that when they're united mean that uh, they they're, they're said to unite in the deathless, give the experience of nibbana because they are the they are the quality of, of, of consciousness that is not dependent or bound up with the objects, the experiences. 
they are like a fulfilled consciousness, a consciousness that's fully vitalized rather than only vitalized by relationship to some object, some thing that it's experiencing. So it's important to have this way of reviewing where faith is not present. There's this feeling of, well, you know, dreariness, duty, slugging along in a kind of grey way, or downright disillusionment. Faith is not present. Faith is present. And maybe, you know, one one may be experiencing painful feelings, unpleasant feelings, and yet there's there's this kind of buoyancy, there's a feeling of, well, this is, yeah, let's look at this, let's witness this. What's this about? This is important, this is necessary. I think it's not something that I, you know, that's going wrong. This is something to, to awaken to. This can be seen as a dukkha, or you know, then 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 even uh, quite unpleasant things can be can be tackled. Where there's no faith, even things that aren't very unpleasant, we get pushed down by them. We just get into restlessness or doubt, dithering. Mm. You know, not really connected at all. And faith is very important, and it's 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 also quite crucial in that it does seem to be the the thing which the faculty that when it's that that, that when a hindrance takes over, you know, a problem or something that takes over the mind, then then the the really crucial thing that it is that it damages is faith confidence and faith is a sense of confidence being out feeling that one can work with something or get a perspective on it when that goes then you're in trouble really in trouble and uh, if it's there then there really isn't much trouble it's just a matter of being patient and applying energy and applying mindfulness but if the faith is not there then you're in trouble so it's very important to to understand that and know how to kindle faith how to uplift the mind it is an uplifted experience so um, this is where you get the like the devotional practices are skillful because they are they're more than just you know having thinking about Buddha making a rational thought that you think about as another object it's actually quality of faith is you're actually putting yourself into it it's like a holistic experience it's not sort of thinking but actually giving yourself totally immersing yourself letting go into that experience of Buddha what does this mean in practical terms well it's rather like, like you look into the mind and it's a sense of feeling that you can open up and it be exposed I think that's part of it that, uh, that, that you know whether you want to use it a way that we normally would think we'd say we're allowing the Buddha to, to witness what's going on in our minds opening ourselves up to, to the Buddha because it's a way of talking or seeing things in terms of Dhamma or this is the kind of thing that uh, the, the fellow the practitioners cultivate in 
you can be inspired by the example of other cultivators, other practitioners. Now what do I do this? I practice all that. It means that the experience I'm having, I'm really opening it up and receiving it properly. I'm not kind of cringing and dithering and trying to shove it aside and blaming. That ability to consciously be receptive to something is quite significant because so much of our life is based on what we do and make rather than what we receive. So often we are very limited in our ability to be receptive and be stimulated but not receptive. And we don't often receive what's very significant is we don't receive ourselves. We do things. We become things. We adorn things. We activate but we don't receive ourselves. We're trying to become something rather than actually receive that very feeling of hunger or need or loss or uncertainty. So faith is rather like that. And if you use Buddha, you use a Buddha image, you use uh, stupas and statues and chanting, then in a way why you why you have to use an external object is that it gives you something to actually to 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 very fully act with. So it's rather like entering a kind of theatre where you become part of that thing. You're not standing back and watching it, you're really giving yourself to it. So at that that time then that feeling of 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 um, instead of standing back and manipulating things, actually just putting yourself into it, immersing yourself, is, is of course something that requires a sense of trust and stimulates trust, stimulates faith. We find we can do it. Our rational mind sputters and objects, but then how far does rational mind get? feeling of giving oneself is uh, I would say is quite critical in practice (coughs) so I find myself using a Buddha image and then you know, kind of rationalists can say, well, you know, Buddha is just a just sort of piece of brass, isn't it, really? But it's nothing, there's no such thing as a piece of brass. Mm-hmm. Everything reminds us of something. That's the problem. There's <laughs> also part of the solution. The fact, you know, there aren't any such things as pieces of brass or lumps of stone or something that does something to my mind. You know, it stimulates indifference or it reminds me of this. So I look, you know, it does something. So you may find that you know, Buddha images are things you feel aversion to. But it's not a piece of brass, is it? It's a feeling of, you know, I don't know if I really, you know, so what? It's, it's a kind of, it creates that kind of reaction. So, of course, one can continue to to have these images and use them to stimulate mild aversion and tenuity and and doubt, or you can, you know, if you 
try to use them actually to do something more more helpful. <laughs> so I find I like to use these images to to consider being being loved, being respected, being having something that that's looking after me, my welfare, my well-being, just to create that perception in the mind. And of course, it's not this lump of brass is going to do it, but there isn't a lump of brass anyway. It's only a perception in the mind. And that perception we can infuse. We can recognize this, that, however remote it may seem, there's a rational possibility. One can at least toy with the idea of having a vaguely worthy streak somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Just for the hell of it, you know. <laughs> it's not utterly out of the question. So that one of the other objects of recollection of faith is one's own virtues. And so if you line these up, Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, one's virtues, and so on, and you, you know, have a little, probably have to scratch around for a few, but they're there, then the whole thing does become very solid. And often one will help to catalyze another. So the more you use these images like that, the more that they actually do trigger off this this uh, perceptive perceptual uh, field, which is a field of support. So, just finding myself doing some you know, doing this retreat you know, like last week, you know, the mind went a bit out of, goes a bit out and a bit of kilter, and the kind of and it's just something to do with faxes. I think it's faxes I you want to work with. Because as soon as I start to consider duties and things, my mind just goes, loses its loses tone, it loses tune. And then uh, it's, it loses its loses its balance. And you can see that uh, does a couple of things. One, it kind of runs around like a demented collie, rounding up everything and driving sheep up and down hills and dales whether they want to go or not. And then after a while it gets tired out and it just kind of sits down, it's tongue lolling. You know, it doesn't want to <laughs> do anything. You know. And then it, and it, get, you know, it kind of gets a sense of frustration about it. It's, it's, it's dog that won't actually sit down and it tires itself out. So it's useless. So it gets like, you know, it goes like that. It's quite frustrating sometimes. And so I find, you know, just the other day I decided, oh, I'll just. I have a just honour the Buddha, so I got I have some special kind of incense I use for particular occasions. I think just there for this um, not not a normal stick incense, but just kind of particular things and make it a special thing. Special kind of grains of incense, just because that that's got that particular perception of it. You have that on special moments, and then I have the Buddha and then offer things to the Buddha. And uh, just really open up. I don't have to make very much of it because my mind, you know, having tra- trained it over years, it just it does actually respond to that. Something that's a distinct visual external object, tangible that one react, one relates to and acts, actually brings up a you know a sense of of total connection. To 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 the to the perception and to the faith that that it stimulates, yeah. and I find that the mind then actually got something that's bright and energising, and it, it's attracted to that, and it begins to come.
come to heal. But when it's not at heal, then it, oh, I worry about this, and not certain about that, and oh, perhaps I should try this, and it's all going about itself. It dithers around and uh, doesn't really, it's always act doing something, and it's not receiving anything, it's not actually coming to terms with the impression that, that, that creates its problems. It doesn't have a way of, of acting to get out of it. So that, that kind of opening your mind up, very, very, I think, very important, fundamental step in meditation. So every day I like to begin the day with that, finish the day with that, and the last moments at night to actually have that in the mind. First moment of the day to establish it. And then um, to, to know when it's present, when it's not present. And then when it's not present, to be able to, to take the steps that will, that will uh, be conducive to that. So that one approaches uh, any mind object with a mind that's sustained with faith, with a feeling of there's a path, there's something to be cultivated here, there's support for it, the Buddha has taught a way through it, that other people have fared along this path also. And it can be, it can be brought. This these can be brought towards uh, skillful fruition. Quality of of effort, virya, is also something to note. Bind when it goes off, doesn't want to make an effort. What we like, or kind of on a habitual personal personality level, the mind seeks the path of least resistance, of habit. We say, just relax, have a good time, hang out, feel easy. You know, it's always sound, these, are, these are nice sounding terms. When we think of, say, of enjoying ourselves, we tend to think of, you know, things that we're all mean the, the least amount of effort we, we actually do something that stimulates us so we don't have to put any effort into it go watch a movie or something so actually you know we don't have to put any effort into watching a movie just kind of sit there and get your eyes open that's about it you really can do that so that rather than me doing it something does it for me I'm picked up uh, and then relax a lot so bother with being that mindful or heedful, vigilant, restrained, all these things that require effort, we can put them down. And uh, so, so naturally find the tendency towards whatever's the path of least resistance. Okay. But if you're cultivating, then you, you can see how following that path doesn't go very far. Because meditation without effort turns to just dullness, dullness and uh, distractedness. You think, well, what are you sitting here for? You're feeling kind of dull, and so what? Because one isn't applying any effort. 
and effort's something that's to be tuned, of course, no point considering effort as a kind of manic, berserk, lunging, you know, or sort of martial rallying of every you know, everything or physical power. It's, it's something that requires fine tuning. Sometimes it's the, the effort to consciously to consciously relax something. Do it deliberately, consciously, witnessing, knowing there's that which needs to be released, something too tight, too tense. And that's a conscious, mindful relaxation rather than just a kind of flopping out. But effort's something to, to, to again, to, to, to question, is it present, is it not present? So that the standards of the life of a, of a cultivator are that which require some kind of effort. They're not kind of things that like just living under the precepts, for example, requires this kind of effort of the mind to keep considering, noting, taking things seriously, looking into things that uh, other people don't look into, consi- considering the ethical repercussions of what we do. It requires a kind of effort, doesn't it? To meditate, to actually do formal practice, to sit upright, requires a continual sense of application, not necessarily, um, you know, it's a balancing, but a certain feeling of presence. And to work with the mind, rather than just be uh, pushed by it, to apply oneself to the mind, requires effort. Is it present? Do we actually take the steps to make it present? We're willing to, to see that. I find that when the mind goes off, then one kind of doesn't want to make that much. It wants to be calm. So calm is, is uh, often can be seen as a as a a mask for not wanting to see things. Just want to calm everything down. And um, Calm isn't is not uh, you know it's it's a kind of a quality, a helpful intention, for when there's e- when there's enough energy and mindfulness, but it's not such a basic uh, factor as, as effort. The Buddha repeats it so many forms of this particular topic. Sort of sitting in meditation sometimes in the mornings if I you know, don't have a. I mean, often I find if I don't have a puja, then in the morning I'm quite uh, not very bright, really. Just sitting, feeling okay, but mine not, not really. You know, it's like, it's like it's got boxing gloves on. It can't actually do any fine tuning. It's numb. <laughs> uh, groping under the sort of breath, body. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere out there, there it is. Yeah, I've got it. You can't really. <laughs> Feel it. You don't really know where you are. You're kind of there, but you're kind of not there. But you're not really in with definite. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, so, so you hang in there for an hour, an hour and a half, five minutes. Well, actually, the, you know, if one was, was more recollected, is that the equality of energy is not present. <coughs> get up, 
and get up. Go outside, it's cold outside. Walk up and down. I don't want to walk up and down. Sit still, be quiet. Get up, walk up and down in the cold. No, no. <laughs> Why? It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't make me feel very good. It doesn't, no, it doesn't feel very calm. It doesn't feel very pleasant. But it, it is a quality. It does. We're not looking to be calm and pleasant at the moment. We're actually trying to just recognize the need for, for the sense of energy. So energy is not a calm, necessarily a calm, pleasant, serene, tranquil abiding. It means one is actually engaging, connecting. And if you look at that, then you get the sort of a calm which has come from clarity. There's a calmness of purpose, which is far more important in terms of intention and consciousness than a calmness of an object or a calmness of just a feeling. To have a calm intent, deliberate, focused intent to, to, to do walking meditation, you know, then suddenly it, all make, suddenly it comes to make sense. One does feel calm. But the calm is not particularly because that there's a you know there's a particular object that's calm. The calm is one sense of purpose. You know what you're doing. You know the things that need to be done, and now you're applying yourself. And the calm is a kind of authority. When there's no energy, there's no authority. When there's no application, there's no personal authority. So we feel always uh, weakened by that, not taking responsibility. And if you take responsibility, then realize things don't have to be that pleasant or nice or because you feel good. And that's what counts. You feel that you're, you're alive and you're responding. So to consider that, that you know, gives one a... a to my mind, it's a very good way of of looking at you know, the, the very mind itself, the consciousness, and not getting confused by the nature of the activity or the feeling or, that comes in through that. These are not not the crucial effect, not the crucial business. The crucial business is how that we approach them. And if one, the only crucial quality is that we are actually determining to come into contact with things that will arouse these spiritual faculties, that will arouse faith. It means one has to apply oneself, will arouse effort. We don't sort of say, well, you know, I'll kind of get up, I'll make me bot. Well, eight o'clock in the morning, fair enough then. A few cups of coffee, you know, sort myself out. Nine o'clock, sit down for a little while. You know, when I feel good, you say, you, know, you don't need much effort then, do you? You actually put yourself in a situation where you have to apply. Mindfulness. Um, said many things about this quality of mindfulness. It's something that's, that... Um, Again, it's 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 whether one is mindful of an activity, of an object, whether the object feels good or feels bad, whether it's a defilement or a virtue, or whether one can actually um, cultivate mindful awareness of that. 
mindfulness that which establishes attention. Therefore, it has this quality of effort, and it it's a kind of has this, this quality of um, movement of the mind, mm? you know, establishing some sense of of of, of concentration, of, of, of fixity. Um, it's that which sees things dispassionately. So it's wise in that in that way. It's not reacting. It's not judging. It's not making a self out of it. It's just seeing this is this, this is that, this is this, this is that. It has that wisdom quality, and it's it's un it's unstained by uh, kinds of um, personality issues. It's also something that makes things very specific. And this is helpful. When a, Often when the mind goes off, we get into generalizations. We make a general assumption like, don't feel good, feel a bit depressed. Things aren't going, things aren't going very well. You know, generalized statement, what thing? So mindfulness is, well, you know, is it something you've seen? Is it a sound? Is it a touch? It's just like, be specific. You really get that. So that in the, see that a particular hindrance has arisen on a, on a particular sense base, a particular object or a particular pattern of thought. Why, why, why is the restlessness? You know, and then we recognize, well, I got a letter yesterday. And it's because of that, isn't it? It's quite specific. So it's not self. It's not some strange um, quality that you have or some kind of cosmic force that's overwhelming you. It's a particular thing. And when we see what it is, we get specific about where it occurs and how it occurs, then we're also able to recognize where it doesn't occur. So, for example, you know, if it occurs in the visual consciousness, it's not something in hearing. If it occurs in something we're hearing, it's not something we're touching. Mm. It's dependent upon one particular sense base. And this is significant in that once you see what it's dependent upon, you realize that you can, that that whole mindset is actually based upon approaching an object or a situation either through one particular attitude in mind, so it's dependent on one particular view or attitude or expectation that you're, you're bringing to bear upon a situation or a scenario. You're expecting something. Mm. or it's based upon approaching things through you know, again in an habitual way an attitude or, or a sight of something so you may see, you know you focus on something that you see is very attractive and beautiful and arouses a kind of desire then consider you know does it sound the same 
is the, is the sight the same as the sound? Is the sound the same as the touch? And you got sort of like like food, and you see that some of the attraction of food is is through the eye. But very few people actually shove food into their eyes. I mean, even, even the most kind of manic summoner has been rarely seen to actually shove chocolate eclairs into his eyeballs. Generally goes down the throat, which is from the throat. What, what's happening? Didn't even know it was happening. You know, it's hardly asked because it's just get going. You know, so that the the you know there may be nothing happening in the body. It's the eyeball. This is why, of course, you have things like knives and forks because it's you know eating a pork chop with a knife and fork. You know, and you you don't have to you know what it feels like. Eat some kind of greasy bit of meat, get it stick it in your hand. Not quite so nice as if you had a silver fork and it looked pretty and you've got a bit of as kind of part parsley on it and you know and you put it in your between your choppers and that's it. But so <laughs> you know, if you actually recognise what what is it what is a what does these things feel like in your hand then it's you, you know, you see it's it's not the the attractive feature of it was purely dependent upon one particular sense base and often a very specialised way in which that's perceived. So, of course, you know, the, uh, you know some of the basic uh, meditation pra- recollections are to see, say, something that is, is inanimate, that one's attracted to, to recognise it as that which has the nature to break up. You know, so you see a Nice kind of glittering Jaguar car. <laughs> wow, lovely glitter. And then you can imagine what it's like when it's kind of got a few dents in the side of it and it's rusting. Ten years old and big ends are not knocking, clapped out. So, so something like, or if you're, so your feeling is re, re, a pop with aversion to things. And see them as elements. You see something you feel very disgusted by, like vomit. Then you see it really it's just it's just that it's just food. <laughs> a thing that, you know, a few hours ago would have been absolutely yummy. And now you don't even think of it, let alone touch it or eat it. Try chewing something for ten seconds and spit it out and put it in your hand and see whether you want to eat it again. You know, chip butty. What it looks like after ten seconds in a mouth. You put it out again, you never look at it, yuck. You wouldn't want to eat it really. So you look at things in, in this way. But it's still only the elements, isn't it? It's still only solid liquid and so on. So therefore one can become much more dispassionate about things one would feel averse to. These are examples in which you you recognise that to be mindful is also to be quite specific. Not to get kind of caught into the solidity of a mood. Like, you know, how greed, hatred and delusion, they, they, they solidify everything into that particular, into that particular um, state of mind. They support that. Everything is then seen in that way. 
So it's, a, it's attractive. You can't see the unattractive. Something that's disgusting. You can't see it any other way. But then if you break it down and see what specifically is the attractive feature, and you see it's just a moment of eye consciousness, or a memory, or a perception, or an expectation, then you know you see how powerful mindfulness is. It's called the thing that stops the floods. Now when we're practically practicing mindfulness, mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of the you know the four foundations, there are four foundations in order to be to keep that feeling of attending. And mindfulness is also considered to be that which recollects or remembers. It says, stay with this. And then when you are meditating, try to get quite specific. So we're not kind of in a, a sort of vague, unspecified state. We're actually attending to a particular object or where witnessing a particular set of feelings or witnessing things as felt. So as you do something like anapanasati, then you can witness first the very body of it, the tactile impression, and then the feeling tone. And then notice the difference between the two and open up to the, to, to the, the feeling tone. And then the, the mind that that, that, that that feeling tone stimulates, the mindset, so you can actually, and then the skill of mindfulness and concentration is to be is to be able to be that specific, and to know when one is attending to this aspect and not to that aspect, and to put down that aspect and pick up this aspect, and to be able to exercise like that. So, whatever level of whatever one's meditation is about, this is quite significant. And when we start to get caught by a hindrance and we get into a feeling of I feel this way or I am this state, then it's a sign that mindfulness is not present. And what do you feel? When do you feel it? Where's it felt? Mm-hmm. Is it just an emotion or what? It's a mood? Okay, well then it needs to be examined. So then the quality of Dhamma Vijaya, examination of things, is is a friend and partner of mindfulness. Um, samadhi is the fourth of these indriyas, and this is the sense of concentration. It's rather uh, that which helps you to expose the roots. It's like a has a certain solidity to it. So if mindfulness is keen and agile, samadhi has a kind of weightiness to it. You can imagine a, a blade of a knife is both sharp and it's also like you have a big chopping knife. It's also got weight to it, and it requires both of those to do to do the work properly. You have a kind of you know, you're trying to carve um, you know, steak or something with a razor blade. But if you've got a the blade which has got some weight in it, it kind of it has a quality to penetrate. And similarly, samadhi has this is 
has a sense of, of gravity to it. It takes you to the roots of the mind rather than just skirting around the surface. Mindfulness helps you to guide, right, and just be with the feeling, you know, you know, so that the simplification and the specific, specific specifications of mindfulness help to support concentration because the mind, instead of being scattered, it's actually collected. When it's collected, it's energized. When it's collected and energized, it's got a kind of sense of of of, of firmness, and we then are able to to look more clearly at the roots of things. You're not caught up with the surface appearance. You look into the root of need or or restlessness or hesitancy or some kind of hanging back, guilt or wavering or shame or doubt. Then they can just push against that. If this if the samadhi is strong, then the beauty of it is it makes the practice much more immediate because instead of having to kind of negotiate through a whole set of personality um, you know avenues and negotiate with this kind of personality factor and do a deal with that and forget about that and overcome that and forgive this and sort that out you just say look this is doubt stop it <laughs> and you can you know because you've actually you've got right to the, the boss in one go when you so to collect the mind and to do this through power of, of faith, energy, and mindfulness around a particular object. So mindfulness and faith and energy are not—they're not concentration. They're not calming necessarily calming experiences, but they result in it. One has to be prepared to do the work and the activity and the arousing and the opening and agility in order to arrive at samadhi. This I think is one of the problems of samadhi is that so often we want to just get into it without really doing what it takes to to, to bring it around. We mistake it for a sort of calm state that's nice and attractive to feel calm and steady. It's true, but you don't get proper samadhi through just that in, you know, shortcuts. And Panya is the last of the five indriya. This is the ability to to see things wisely. Um, so with samadhi actually helps to to break through the hindrances. When the hindrances are broken through, then we are able to see more clearly, or there is the seeing more clearly of the causes and conditions that make up our realm of experience. What these causes and conditions are, positive, negative, of course, is is going to be a complicated matter to analyse. But essentially it's the recognition that things are uh, a matrix of activities rather than a, a substantial person. Things are, there is karma. There are causes and effects. There are mental faculties. There are sense, sense experiences. There are certain 
factors that group everything together, desire and clinging and feeling and becoming. But, you know, however uh, you know, dreadful these things may seem to be, or habitual they seem to be, panya or wisdom is not in that caught up in that. The ability to see causes and conditions, to see them as such, however chilling that may be, wisdom is not does not partake in it. So if we see these things then we'll be we are wise. Well there is wisdom. But it's rather like the whole issue of wisdom does focus very much on the sense of self because of course if one wants to be a wise person then almost certainly what is the wisdom doesn't arise. Conceit arises instead or frustration. Quality of mindfulness is that which means it's possible now to see this all as learning experience rather than becoming something. And so the learning is that which will naturally give rise to wisdom to see things in this way. And the results of it is that, that the world, worldly dhammas, if you like, can be experienced coolly as causes and conditions rather than something that we are bound into or despairing of. And this may be something that you know you, you see momentarily. But what Buddha's Narahants know is that this is the real uh, area and that these, the way in which we respond and react is where the richness, the vitality, the fluency, the agility, the skills of, of life can be derived. We're really you know, alive responsible and responsive life through bringing consciousness alive rather than having this kind of like a tail of the dog that just wags along with whatever the world is doing and then within this you can find that uh, the sense of happiness and fulfilment can be experienced around you know having one meal out of an arms bowl, finding a place to lie down, knowing what's good and what's bad, actually understanding these things and saying one kind word, bringing the mind into one skillful intention at a time, knowing one can do that. So you see, in some ways, it's extraordinarily simple and very intimate, very humble, and that's what, of course, makes it so unique and so special. Because it's, it's always right here. It's not out there. It's not grand. 
So tonight is the Magra Puja and we'll uh, have the uh, circumambulation of the stupa about um, an hour or so's time. Um, so this would be a chance to bring forth one's faith, encourage one's faith. Walking around a lump of rock in a field in a cold night. Bring forth as energy and effort rather than having a little calm nod in the warmth of one's room with a blanket. <laughs> quite mindful, specific, one step at a time rather than why do you have to do this silly thing over and over and around in circles? I didn't come here to do this kind of thing. Noticing that lifting one's leg and putting it down on the ground is not an unbearable experience or an insult to humanity. <laughs> With one's sense of personal dignity. <laughs> and uh, to kind of really, through that, focus, get some concentration onto to this plane of the mind. We see through the perceptions and mirages it creates into its fundamental nature, which is awareness, wisdom itself. 